Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady, and I am here with Nancy Lamaster, who is the committee chair for the ISM, Institute for Supply Management, hospital report on business. We cover this every month. You're hearing some, we hope, positive news in the press about the hospitals or about COVID. Uh, the hospitals aren't feeling the same. Nancy, welcome to the show. I look forward to this discussion. Thanks, Tim. Well, I think January was a really hard, hard month for the hospitals. I think what we're hearing now in February is a little bit of a reprieve in certain parts of the country, particularly the East Coast. But if you look at the January numbers, the PMI came in at 64.1, you know, pretty close to December up uh, 0.3. But boy, the business activity number came in at 74. That was up 3%. It was only hit 74 two other times. And that was in June and December of 2020. So the hospitals were very full. And if you looked at the comments, uh, they were very full of Omicron patients. You know, unfortunately, we've kind of learned now first cases spike. And then there's a lag of a couple of weeks and then um, hospitalizations start to spike. And unfortunately, then deaths will start to spike again. And I know we've, we've hit 900,000 deaths now. Um, so that's been really tough. So the hospital's very, very full in January. Um, one thing we did see, although through the comments, we know that most places were um, deferring elective procedures it appears they started to schedule them. So our new orders were up 6%, up to 67%. And likewise, the backlog of orders was down 6.5%. So that tells me that they're starting to plan for post-Omicron spike, um, starting to see that they're, they could be able to, um, to get more balance in, in that. Um, of course, you know, the, that's been offset or the challenge was the employment number. And I know you saw that and we're probably just shocked to see 39.5 down 9% from December. Unlike in um, manufacturing where they've had five months of employment growth, hospitals have had seven months of contraction. And I went back and looked at the history to see if 39.5 was our lowest rating. It wasn't. In April and May of 2020, it was lower. But things were so different then. So if you think about it, when we were at the very beginning of, of COVID, we didn't know what it was yet. Hospitals uh, postponed electives. We cleared the hospitals expecting this rush, but there was a delay. So back then, when employment dipped, it was because people were furloughed. Hospitals didn't have the patients yet. So they had staff to call back when the volume spiked. Now, our employment number is low because we don't have people, because the recruitment and retention is so difficult. So it really paints a very concerning picture, this low employment number. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the uh, challenge to get people to come into the hospital. I know people are bailing out because psychologically and emotionally, it's tough to deal with death, death, death every day and, and serious sickness. The AP is reporting that we are looking at bringing in 
uh, medical staff personnel from other countries on visas to fill the holes in our hospital system. We are, we are. This is something we've done before. You know, one of the challenges today is that it's a global pandemic. Before when we've brought people in, it's tended to be a more US centric problem. So, you know, that isn't necessarily gonna be a magic answer. It's a piece of it. The other thing is the American Hospital Association just put together a letter to Congress and to the um, CMS that manages the rules around hospitals with a set of, of requests. These were things that were sort of waived during the pandemic that they would like to see made permanent to make things to help with this ongoing labor shortage. So for example, the expansion of telehealth and some of the rules around that that were waived, we've kind of talked about it before. These are in many cases kind of archaic state rules, very protectionistic. The example I would give you is that if I live in Missouri and go to Illinois to see a physician, there's no problem. That physician is, a, is certified in Illinois. He doesn't have to be or she be certified in Missouri. But for telehealth, if they were to, a physician that is, is um, credentialed in Illinois, goes to do a telehealth visit with somebody who lives in Missouri, they weren't allowed to do that because they weren't certified in the state of Missouri. So we're trying to say those laws got waived. We're saying that we need to do that permanently because the supply of people just isn't there. We've had so many retirements um, and it's gonna take a while to grow a bigger supply, especially of clinical people to really meet this demand. So we're hopeful, you know, I'm sure it won't be without controversy, but that some of these rules could be uh, rationalized and, and we could look at a system where we had broader ability to move people from state to state and to do more with telehealth, which would really help our rural hospitals. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, Nancy, I'm just wondering, as you say, the hospitals are beginning to schedule elective surgeries. What are they really feeling? I know there's some comments in there saying that in January, there was just a surge of COVID patients, uh, really kind of in all areas of the country, and they're really struggling. Uh, if they're scheduling, as you mentioned at the top of the show, does this look like a bright spot, the light at the end of the tunnel? You know, I, I think we're almost afraid to say that because we've been hit with wave after wave. You know, as I look at it, starting to schedule still may, probably means March and April. You know, I, you know, they're still, and it's going to be variable. We're seeing, you know, more relief in the East than we are in the West and the South in terms of COVID cases. Um, and so, and then staffing is still going to have an impact on that. So, you know, if, if I had to say, I, I still think it will be March and April before we start to see more balance in the, in, in really more back to, uh, I'd say traditional somewhat mix of patients. And that assumes we don't have another variant crop up. I know the World Health Organization is following four variants of concern, um, but so far, none of those appear to be spreading rapidly. They're more isolated. So, you know, we're just going to have to keep 
encouraging people to get vaccinated and work on learning to live with this. So supply chain, since the Institute for Supply Management, by the way, folks, that's at ismworld.org, is all about supply chain. How are the hospitals doing getting themselves supplied because they're still grappling with this pandemic and the in-hospital needs of equipment? Yeah. So I know that when we talked last month, we were looking somewhat at the manufacturing report, kind of hoping we were going to see a little bit of an improvement. And I'd say we didn't see much improvement yet. Um, so supplier deliveries got a little bit worse again, 76. So they um, from 74.5. Inventories are still growing. They're still building them. And you saw in the comments, again, in you know their lack of stability the concern that you know things they order aren't going to actually be delivered even in spite of the fact that their sentiment is the inventory is too high but they're still building it was up three percent up to 61 that's a pretty high number for that um so you're really seeing that people are still kind of stockpiling different products as they can get them we've seen again another wave of shortages um N95 masks, gloves, vacutainers, blood collection products. Again, um, you know, there's there's worry about giving out the N95 masks from the um, national stockpile to the general public when you know those really should be fit tested and conserved for the healthcare professionals. So there's some concern, um, not severe, just worry. I, I think everybody's been through so much. Probably the, the thing that um, is most concerning was the price index again this month. The overall price index was up 7% to 74.5. And then, you know, we break that into pharma and supplies because those have such unique impacts on the hospitals. Pharma was up 5% from 58 to 63. That's not unusual. Most pharmaceutical companies increase their prices in January and frequently again in July. And as you know, we've gone 46 months with farmer prices growing every single month since we've started this index. But the really worrisome um, number this month was that supplies spiked again. You know, and we kind of were looking at the manufacturer report, things didn't look like, you know, a few things looked like they were moving out of short supply. I was a little bit hopeful, but that was up nine and a half percent in one month on supplies. And I went back and looked, and it's only been higher one other time, and that was April of 2020 when it was 83 and a half. So really getting um, pressured on the supplies number. So, you know, where I look for a bright spot on the supply chain part is that metric we follow that's a very hospital-centric metric called touchless orders. And that's where hospitals are being supplied by their distributor pretty much on an automated basis. And when that gets better, and it got better by 9% this month, what that's telling me, and you know, of course, one month does not make a trend, we know, but it's suggesting that maybe the supply delivery from the manufacturers to the distributors is improving. The, man, the supply delivery direct from the manufacturer to the hospital where we're relying on UPS, FedEx, that type of thing, you know, they're really being hit by labor shortages and, and that kind of thing. So 
I'm going to watch this really closely, that would be the first sign that things are getting better. If, if we're getting it from the port to the distributor, the distributor of the hospital, that would be kind of that first line of improvement where it may be slower manufacture direct to hospital. So I don't know. It's one, one month. We can't get too excited. But as you and I know, we every month we look for any little glimpse of, of good times. <laughs> in this situation, we certainly do. Nancy, in terms of supply being short and you, you separate you know, PPP and uh, needles and syringes from pharma, yep. is one more short in short supply or are they both just terrible? Um, you know, it didn't, what I'm seeing is more comments and, and pain points around the supplies. And, and one thing, reason that may be is we have now for quite a few years, as the pharmaceutical companies have consolidated and there's been less and less competition and there's been less and less supplies, hospitals I, I hate to say it this way, but they've become very adept at dealing with drug shortages. It's, it's something that happens every single day. And so, you know, between, you know, working with their distributor, sharing between hospitals, sometimes the pain from that doesn't come through because it's almost become a steady state. So I think if you looked at the numbers, you still are seeing quite a few pharmaceutical shortages, but the overwhelming majority of comments are around the supplies. That's uh, what I would have expected the pain point to be because that demand is so extreme at this point. Nancy, I don't know that you track this at all. I just want to ask the question and see if you have any information on it. There has been all kinds of discussion for a long period of time about two drugs in the market that have been there for years or very inexpensive hydroxychloroquine and invermectin that some studies seem to indicate are effective against COVID, but they're generally not used in the United States healthcare protocol. Is any of that beginning to arise in the hospital protocol to deal with this that you know of? You know, I haven't been aware of any studies coming through the CDC or the National Institute of Health that support either one of those drugs as a treatment. So, I, you know, I don't know. I, I have not seen that. I know that there are some people that believe that. Um, but in terms of what, you know, I've read or seen come across through my various hospital blogs and, and different things, has not seen an increase in, in those. I know that, um, you know, some of the uh, monoclonal antibodies have proven not to be as effective with Omicron as they were before. Um, so there's a, you know, a watch on that, but the antiviral drug from Pfizer does seem to be effective. And I know that they're working on ramping up production of that. That would be prescribed to people by their doctors in their home to hopefully keep them from needing to go to the hospital. That's, that's the only one I'm really aware of, Tim. My hope in all of this is because of all the research being thrown at viruses, that they managed to get rid of the common cold. <laughs> Wouldn't that be good? <laughs> we'll put it on the list. I yeah. that, um, you know, the um, messenger RNA delivery process for delivering the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, I think that they've learned a tremendous about, about that. I mean, that research actually started 
many, many years ago when they were looking for a virus for AIDS or a way to a vaccine for AIDS. Um, and I, you know, there is a lot out there saying that what we have learned in this process and developing the vaccine for COVID is going to benefit science as a whole and maybe other diseases that they're looking for a better way to introduce the vaccine or the, the medication into the body. So I think there's, you know, I think there will be, you know, again, as we look for silver linings, there are going to be learnings that came out of this whole process that hopefully we, we keep, whether it's speeding up, appropriately speeding up, not, not fast tracking where it's a danger, but where can we get rid of bureaucracy that's just slowing processes down, right? Or some of these old laws that don't help us in today's delivery of medicine. You know, I think those are going to be some of the things that, you know, it's still going to be six months or a year away, but we'll be talking about in the future saying, wow, we learned this and now we can apply it somewhere else. Well, I think that those would be excellent changes and I'm, I'm glad to hear that. You and I have talked about various uh, efforts between uh, the big city hospital and the rural hospital to kind of uh, balance the rural hospital's ability to get supplies uh, as opposed to the, the big hospitals that can just buy them because they've got buying power. Is that also staying in effect at this point that the rural hospitals are getting the supplies and the support that they need? I think so. I, I mean, you know, one of the, the biggest programs that was started through the American Hospital Association was the dynamic ve uh, ventilator loaning program where people were loaning ventilators back and forth. And that has proven very successful. And I know they're having discussions about how could we continue that, that concept? Are there other kinds of equipment or are there other things we need to do in a non-pandemic state? to help out the rural hospitals or just to be better stewards of our resources. So, you know, I think there are both formal discussions going on and, and a lot of it is informal, it really is. It's people reaching out to help their neighbors, to help other hospitals in their states. Um, and so, I, you know, again, I, I think that will occur. How much of it will be formal versus this ongoing informal, hard to say. Do you know, and I know that we've talked about this before, but I'd like to check in with you periodically to see what the conversations are uh, with the federal government. And you have mentioned that some of the antiquated laws will probably drift out to sea, which is wonderful. Hopefully some of the, the roadblocks to a national supply chain will also be corrected. Have you seen some of this moving past the discussion point into any kind of reality? You know, I haven't yet, Tim, but I think that's a good question that that's something I could do a little research on between now and our next call, just because I haven't had time to check in, you know, with some of the people involved. But, you know, that would be a good thing to check in and maybe we could talk about it a little bit more next month as to where are we on those things. I could put out some calls and see if anybody has any concrete examples of something moving beyond the talking stage. I think that would be wonderful. I know that one of the subjects that comes up is patient transportability of their own health information. Right. And that's one thing that we want to get accomplished. Uh, I, I know that when I go outside of network, they have a great deal of problem getting to my records, getting permission to access them, me giving them permission. That, you know, it yeah. slows that healthcare process down. So. 
Yeah. We certainly hope that uh, comes to pass. And I appreciate you looking into that. I look forward to that discussion. Uh, anything in this report that surprised you other than the employment dumping out nine percentage points? Wow. That was, that was a, that was a, yeah, there was another surprise that's actually on the more positive side. Oh, sorry. Just when I think I have all my devices off, somebody, something <laughs> still makes a noise. Um, so we've talked on and off about this metric that we follow for hospitals called technology spent. And how many times have I told you, oh, there's a lot of pressure on margin. I think that's going to really contract. And it hasn't. And in fact, it grew this much. So we're, we're still in the growth range at 54.5, up 2.5%. So I, I did a little bit of reading um, before we got on the call. And, you know, um, HCA, the for-profit hospital system, recently gave their earnings call, and it was very positive. Um, and in fact, they're even talking about building additional hospitals. Now, they're very careful what markets they go into. You won't find them in rural, you know, America. But part of the explanation was that, again, it's kind of like, it's very uneven, but for the bigger systems, some of the money through the CARES Act has been helpful. Again, them getting better at dealing with the COVID, but it, it, Again, for the, for the larger systems, the impact on the margin hasn't been as severe as we initially thought, or at least I initially thought it might be. So for suppliers that are, you know, with equipment, with higher cost technologies, those are still being purchased. They haven't pulled that, that capital lever back very hard yet. Um, so that is a positive. They're saying, you know, you're, they're feeling positive enough just continue to invest at least some of their funds into technology growth. Um, so that was one that surprised me a little bit in a, in a good way. Well, certainly I have had the occasion to be in ERs because I had a child that had some difficulties. And over the years, I watched the improvements. Uh, for instance, if they need to take an x-ray in some cases, they don't even move you out of patient room they move the x-ray machine into the patient room and right. take the x-ray. It's astonishing the amount of things that are becoming automated in hospitals. So I'm glad to hear that their technology spend is still up. I think that will benefit healthcare enormously. Uh, I'm astonished to see that same machine that takes the x-ray, deliver the x-ray to the doctor within a minute. It's on his screen. He can read it or she can read it and begin to make some healthcare decisions. So uh, glad to hear that piece of the puzzle still moving forward. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's really important. Nancy, I want to thank you for joining us again to discuss what's happening in the hospitals because that really is the linchpin of our healthcare system. I know a lot of us think our local uh, healthcare provider, our primary care provider, is the one we're used to dealing with, but the backbone of the system is the hospital system when it becomes serious. And hopefully we'll begin to see a turn here uh, and things improving, but we greatly appreciate you sharing this information, this report. No problem, Tim. I'll look forward to talking to you next month. Thank you very much. And we have been speaking with Nancy LeMaster, who is the committee chair from the Institute for Supply Management, discussing the Hospital Purchasing Managers Index Report, which you can find at jacketmediaco.com. And while you're surfing around, go to ismworld.com. They have some terrific.
pick information there. And I always want to encourage you, if you have a supply chain professional who wants certification, ISM is a place to get it. And next time, we'll talk with Nancy about what's happening on the national front. And thank you for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.